Welcome to another David McCracken Ministries podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you, Lord, that your indescribable love and intention has flooded this place over these days. We see the fruit of it in people's lives and the testimonies given. Father, and you have an intention for it all. And I pray, Father, tonight, Lord, that something quite extraordinary, supernatural will happen in the mobilization of the army of God. Father, I thank you for the Holy Spirit to bring revelation, not just information, Father, not just, wasn't that a great sermon? No, Father, let it be a work of the Holy Ghost that takes place in our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. I, the, the phrase that the Lord gave me, uh, where is it? Is it going to come up? Pardon? The, the phrase the Lord gave me for this particular meeting before I left Melbourne was encounter. Empowered for, now empowered for conquest. That'll do. It's different to what I got down here. But I, I change my notes that often that they're probably three steps or higher. Okay. Um, but empowered for conquest, that's good, because tomorrow morning I'm going to be talking about conquest, the spirit, uh, talking about the spirit of conquest tomorrow morning. But I would like you to change that, not, not the techno people, you, um, empowered for harvest. I want you to uh, replace that with empowered for harvest. And, and I want you to read something to you, which is the account of uh, the Re- Indonesian revival in 1964. And something happened in that year in Indonesia on the island of Timor, which was extraordinary. And they had a year of extraordinary revival visitation. But let we're in it for a bit more of a long haul tonight, okay? So I, I want you to... It's no use me getting you all excited and you go out the same way you came in. It's not going to work, okay? So let me read to you a first-hand account of that revival that hit the island of Timor. The Presbytery, and this I'm quoting directly from that, what, that was written at the time, the, just afterwards. The Presbytery in Timor examined the impact of revival because we're hearing that word all the time now, the impact of revival on their nation in the very first year. It wasn't that long-lived. But in the year 64 to 65, in that one year, one year, they found 80, and this is all on the island of Timor. It's not on a continent like Asia. It's an island. 80,000 people were converted to Christ in one year. 40,000 were previously communists and the rest were heathen. 
some 15,000 people were permanently healed. Church attendance grew phenomenally. Some churches only with 30 people attending on a Sunday service experienced the Holy Spirit outpouring and had a congregational growth in one year from 30 to 500. A wave of repentance and sanctification swept through the former waning church. More than 100,000 idols had been brought out and destroyed by the island's inhabitants. The contrast to the previous year was dramatic. In 1963, congregations complained if a minister dared to preach a long sermon. However, during revival, Christians did not allow their pastors to leave the pulpit until they had preached four, seven, or eight hours at a stretch. Christians, Christians in revival, I hope this challenges our perception of revival. Christians in revival lost all sense of time, hunger, and thirst. They lost all sense of the value of money. The first year revival saw the birth of 72, this is on the island of Timor. The first year revival saw the birth of 72 separate evangelistic teams that traveled throughout the area preaching the gospel while receiving no financial help. All class divisions faded. At the end of the third year of revival, those who were converted had risen to over 200,000. These figures represent the great victory of the Lord Jesus in Indonesia. So my question, as we ease our way into it, what happened? What had happened in the island of Timor? And I want to suggest to you that the fruit of encounter had accomplished the purpose of encounter. Now, you can call it revival. You can call it visitation. I call it encounter, and I've got reasons for that. But I know some very close friends of mine, one of my spiritual sons in the Lord, Corey Turner, I see him. Uh, he's coming next year. You are... Yeah. He's a very fine apostolic voice. I love that young man. Well, he's not young to you, but he's young to me. Ah, let's face it, everybody's young to me. All right? Um, but, yeah, get out for that one. Um, what is revival? You see, revival is what happens when you respond correctly to encounter. I wonder if much of what we call revival, and I'm not knocking that at all, I think it's awesome, is in fact encounter that's supposed to lead to revival. Uh, let's go to the classic, where it all started, Acts chapter 2. You alive and well? Yeah. Acts chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, 
They were all with one accord in one place. Hey, that stopped force. The unity, the unity allowed the encounter. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then there appeared to them divided tongues, as if they were on fire. There were act- it wasn't tongues of fire, as I've heard people say. There were tongues, these things, tongues, divided tongues, which were on fire. And there was a reason for that because God wanted them to associate the tongues they're about to receive with the fire of God having visited them. Everything God does is has purpose. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, my friends, that was in the fulfillment of the words of Jesus in Acts 1.8. So we're going to read that too. You all know it, but do you know it? But you shall receive power, dunamis, spiritual encounter, call it what you like, empowerment, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me, signposts to me, living signposts that direct people to me, in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So Jesus said, you shall be living signposts to me. You'll you'll direct people to me. Why? Because you've received the power to do so. You've received the supernatural, uh, uh, miraculous empowerment of the Holy Spirit that will enable you to be the signpost to me. Please remember this for the rest of your days. Miraculous encounter and empowerment is always for purpose. It's always for purpose. Never confuse the method for the objective. You shall be my signposts. That's my objective. Therefore, I will visit you and empower you so that you can be. Acts chapter 2 is the greatest day of visitation, call it revival, encounter, in the history of the church. So let, I want to look at two things. First of all, ask the question, what was the fruit? What was the fruit of this incredible invasion of heaven? You talk about revival fire, well, supernatural encounter, this was the greatest one in the history of the church. So so what was the fruit of it? About to surprise you in a moment, so keep with me. The fruit of it was that they all got baptized in the Holy Spirit. They all began to speak tongues, languages, signs, wonders. They also underwent incredible transformation of who they were as people. They were not the same people at the end of it as they were at the beginning of it. Peter went from a Christ-denying lukewarmer into the apostle of faith that was unshakable, the rock in the church. 
doubting Thomas, who couldn't believe himself out of bed in the morning, <laughs> was transformed to become the apostolic evangelist of the nation of India. The fruit, the fruit in the lives of those that gathered was extraordinary. They were not the same people. But people that attend revival meeting after revival meeting after revival meeting, and they get goosebumps, and they think it's awesome. But my friends, if they have not changed, then they haven't had an encounter. Because any encounter with the living God and the power of the Holy Ghost has got to change you. So the fruit was that their lives were dramatically changed. But, excuse me, where did that come from? (laughs) High C. But everything, everything God does has both fruit and purpose. The fruit is for the purpose. And the purpose of Pentecost, the purpose of Pentecost is what I want to look at. Because every, practically every message I've ever heard deals on the visitation itself, the miraculous itself, the fruit of the lives, everything I've said up until this moment. But that wasn't the purpose. Everything God does has both fruit and purpose. And it's not until verse 41 of Acts chapter 2 that you realize the purpose. Then those who gladly received his word, Peter's word, were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. The fruit of revival, the fruit of encounter, I'll keep to the word encounter, the fruit of that Holy Ghost encounter in Peter's life was that he was utterly transformed, which we celebrate, but it wasn't God's purpose. God's purpose was that he would stand up in the unction of the Holy Ghost with no microphone, no technical assistant, no uh, worship service, nothing, and just begin to shout at the top of his lungs in such a way that it compelled men and women from every tribe and every kind of society. Uh, And one by one by one by one, they came under the conviction of God, and 3,000 people got saved in one day. That was the purpose. The transformed Peter was the fruit. The 3,000 was the purpose. I've got a question to ask the church at large at the moment. What, what, because we all know about Acts chapter 2. I guess I've preached on it about a thousand times, right? It's the Pentecostal base scripture, Acts chapter 2. So my question is, when did history change? When did history change? 
because encounter transforms those who receive it and are impacted by it as they hunger after God and something supernatural takes place inside of them. It's a glorious, glorious thing. But when did history change? When did history change? Because in Acts chapter 2, those disciples were faced with a decision. Uh, The same decision that encounter after encounter, revival meetings after revival meetings have had to look at and face exact same decision. And I have been preaching for 56 years, and I want to tell you something. I've seen encounters come and go. I've seen revivals come and go. I've seen visitations come and go. And no one will tell me that most of them, in fact, uh, were gloriously, wonderfully God. That, that the explosions of God hit the room and people were healed and people were changed and people were transformed and it was glorious until the moment they came to the decision. You see, the decisions never changed. And there had to come a moment when the upper room, when they had to make a decision. And that decision was this. The room or the street? The room or the street? The disciples had just experienced the most incredible visitation of the miraculous. But then they had to make a decision. Do we stay in the room or do we hit the streets? You see, my friends, the room was the power. The street was the purpose. The room was the enabling, but the street was the objective. And as they spilled out onto that street of humanity, the church was born and history was changed forever for the mankind. I, I just wonder what history would have recorded if they had stayed in the room. Because the history books will remind us that these, the, these bundle of fishermen and tax collectors and all sorts, they were actually became the empowered ambassadors of Jesus across nations and regions and blazing with, with thousands getting saved. They spread the gospel around the known world. And everywhere they went, two things were apparent. One, they carried the fruit. The fruit of that visitation was that their lives had been transformed. They were now filled with the Holy Ghost. They were now capable of supernatural things. They now had both purity and power. And don't don't let people claim that they've got the power if their lives do not demonstrate the purity. Because the power that lasts comes out of a pure heart. And so they carried the wind of the Spirit in them, and because they did, they were able to carry it no matter where they went. Everywhere they went, the purpose was evident. Why? Why was the purpose evident? Because everywhere they went, people got saved. 
People got healed. People got delivered. People came into the kingdom of God. And it didn't matter whether there was a beggar in the street or centurion of the Roman army when they encountered somebody carrying the fruit of encounter. The purpose of encounter was automatically going to take place. People were going to get saved. They carried the fruit, but they executed the purpose. Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because, because. Now, I'm not trying to treat you like children, but I want everybody to suck a load of air into your lungs, and I want you to yell at the top of your lungs, because. because. Now, roll your eyeballs and look at the one next to you and say, because. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because there's always a purpose. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Because... And all of that. And then the next word is that. 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 There's always a purpose. That they may be called trees of righteousness. The planting of the Lord that he might be glorified. So, so step one then, the that we might be called trees that glorify Him. Something about our lives radiate Him. Something about who we are speaks even greater than the words that we speak because people are just struck by the, by the, the, the quality of life, the power and the purity. And the, the fact is, uh, what makes you tick, man? You're so different. that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. So that's the fruit. That's the fruit. And they shall. Is this up there? Verse 4, and they shall. They shall. It shifts gear. It gets into purpose now. And they shall rebuild the old ruins. They shall raise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. You know what? If I had another hour and a half, I'd go into those just so I'm telling you, we're talking about a complete transformation of society. We're talking about moral and spiritual ruins and desolations and cities and generations gloriously transformed. I want to tell you this by... <laughs> It's half the Holy Ghost and half my Irish heritage. But don't surrender the planet. Don't surrender the place. We, we live in Melbourne, and I mustn't be political. But I'm telling you now, we're not surrendering Melbourne to the forces of hell because my Jesus died for it. God wants the planet back. Yeah. 
God wants the Gold Coast back. But, it, but it's, it's church people, you know, okay, rephrase. Not everybody that's faithful in church and shows their great love for that, which is base. If they hadn't been in the upper room, none of it would have happened. If it, you know, people that criticize a church, well, they're up against God because it's God's idea, okay? Um, so I'm a fervent believer about uh, consistency and complete commitment to the local church. That I, I've brought up that way. I've pioneered a local church myself. I'm, but I'm telling you that not everybody that gets enthusiastic on a Sunday morning will fulfill the purpose. I have no idea where I am. Okay. What does the screen say? So, Psalm, Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. You see, unless, unless this carries through, the rest of it is going to blow away in the wind. If there isn't transformed lives, I'm no legalist. I used to be, so I know the contrast. I thank God that we don't have to listen to legalistic rubbish. But, but my friends, I also believe that we should live a life that speaks to people about Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know why I'm telling this. I haven't thought about it for many years. When, when I was a dedicated backslider, <laughs> there, was, there, was a period, there was a period of a couple of years when I was 17 and 18, but I was so determined that, yeah. And, and, but my old Irish dad, I'd be on my way out to a, 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 a movie that I shouldn't be going to. And my old Irish dad used to watch me on my way out and he's saying, I hope the both of you enjoy it. Dad, I'm going by myself. Oh, no, you're not. God Almighty will be sitting in the seat beside you. <laughs> Absolutely ruined the movie. I, I couldn't enjoy that movie one little bit. I was sweating the whole way through it. But there is a certain truth to that. I love great entertainment. I'm, you know, I'm so grateful that the Old Testament's full of battles and stuff. You know, good night. I, I, I'm not a... I'm not a pacifist. I, 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 I believe the Bible's full of good, strong stuff. But if my father and I cannot sit down together, and if we can't both enjoy it, then I'd rather watch something else. Why? Because I'm a legalist? No, it's because I can't bear any sense of separation from my father's heart. So if it's not compatible with who he is, I've got to think again. Wow. 
Do you know it says in verse 3 here, he shall be like a tree. Here it is again. Planted by the rivers of water. So, so the fact planted by the rivers of water, tell you, planted in, in the local church, planted but where the rivers of God are flowing, planted, uh, uh, um, you're not, I'm not for one moment suggesting when I say leave the upper room that you leave your local church. I'm not saying that you leave the encounter nights behind you. I'm not saying any of that, quite the contra, because they're planted by the rivers of water. I believe in living in a constant state of encounter and revival. Absolutely. But they're called trees. And then it says it will bring forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither. I take particular interest in that one because it doesn't. It means even if you get to be 96, you don't have to wither up. It's really good. But the next statement says, and whatever he does shall prosper. A tree doesn't bear fruit, so it can admire the fruit. The tree bears fruit for hungry people to eat. James 2.18 says, I'll show you my faith by my works. The Bible said in Psalm that we just read, whatever he does shall prosper. James 2.20 says, don't you know, foolish man, that faith without works is dead. My friends, revival fire without obedience to the purpose will become dead ritual and self-indulgence. And you say, that's all for harsh. No, no, I've lived long enough to see it countless times in countless countries in countless cities. It, it has to achieve the purpose. And I'm going to paraphrase the next uh, scriptures. It's no use putting them up on the screen. We don't have another hour, hour and a half to go into them. But Ezekiel 47, you need to read it. Because in Ezekiel 47, it's a prophetic declaration of the water of God flowing from the throne of God. And Jesus said it spoke about the abundance of the Holy Spirit. And so here is the Holy Spirit. Lean in now. The Holy Spirit is flowing from the throne room of God. And it says that there was nothing but healing and restoration and trees of righteousness. And everywhere that a river flowed, there was light and healing and abundance and it says there was an abundance of fish harvested because the river flowed into the sea everything about that river brought life and healing and restoration but you know there's a couple of things that struck me when I was reading it and one was this where it said and it and it discussed the, the King James doesn't quite put it this way but if you look it up it's right and it says that its waters, when it flowed into the sea, were healed. But in actual fact, the, the true meaning of that is that it discovered its healing properties when the waters flowed into the sea. Now, and when the waters touched the sea, the whole river 
came forth with life and healing and blessing, but it wasn't until it touched the sea. And my God spoke to me and he said, until the rivers of revival actually touch the sea of humanity, they will not have their healing powers released. And if we want to see miracles, we've got to see the objective. You know, I'm going to wind up towards the eventual possibility of a probable close. <laughs> I read Ezekiel 47, and, and I, just, I just read it in awe of the healing and the restoration and the miracles and the trees of righteousness, and everything about it is glorious. So why would God muck it up? Sorry, Father. But, and stick verse 11 in there. It's so unnecessary, Lord. I, I'm enjoying this whole thing about the river. Why would you stick verse 11 in there? And do you know what verse 11 says? But... Oh, no, not one of them. But its swamps and its marshes will not be healed. They'll be given over to salt, the judgment of God. I want you to pause for a second. He's not talking about a different river. He's talking about the river that flows from the throne of God, which is bringing healing and restoration and life everywhere that it flows. He's talking about the visitation and flow of the Holy Ghost to the church of Jesus. He's not talking about a different river. And I remember as a young Christian saying to the Lord one day, I don't understand this. Because how on earth can the river of God, coming from the throne of his grace and power, how can that turn into a swamp and a marsh? I was a young guy, just saved, just filled with the Holy Ghost in Auckland, New Zealand. And there was a revival going on. And I, I was out every single meeting. I mean, twice on Sunday, three times during the week. I was, if, if, if anybody called a meeting, I was there. I was under the spout where the glory came out. And I was not missing anything. And, and I, I only heard a rumor of a meeting. I turned up. Uh, uh, and after about six or seven months of attending every single meeting, I went through a devastating time where my personal life as a young man began to unravel and compromise and, and disappointment and failure riddling my life. And I remember getting down on my knees, absolute tears and distraught because I really did love God. But I was failing miserably. And I said, God, I don't understand. I don't understand why. I can't go to more meetings, Lord. I'm going like six times a week already. Yeah. 
And when I said, Lord, what's the problem? Even though I didn't know I was prophetic at the time, I guess I was because I saw a vivid picture. And I saw this river. I didn't know Ezekiel 47 was hardly in the Bible at the time. But I saw this river flowing, and it was sparkling and pounding with life, and it came over the edge of this cliff. I still can see it. And it pounded down into the valley floor, and, and such was this force that it just blasted the rocks and the debris and the muck out and created this great lagoon. And I said, yes, Lord, that's what happened when I got filled with the Holy Ghost and, and you, you've done remarkable things in my life because I used to be a rotten, stinking little hood and God transformed me. And I said, Lord, that's right, that's what happened. And he grabbed me by the hand, never forgotten that, and he led me away. And although it was only seconds in my mind, I knew that he was talking about the period of time, the nine or ten months that had passed. And he brought me back, and I saw the same lagoon. Now the river that was flowing into it was a trickle. And the water in the lagoon had gone slimy and green and horrible. And I said, God, that so is a picture of how I feel now. I said, what's the answer, Father? And as sure as I've ever seen anything in my life, this giant fist came out of heaven and went into the side of that lagoon and just thumped into the side of the pool. And this big hole burst in the side of this lagoon and the water began pouring out down the hill. And as the water poured down the hill, the, the, the river that would have been flowing into it built great and just began to pound again with full force and then the water was cascading down going around in the pool and shooting out and it was flowing out at the same rate it was flowing in and as I watched those waters were purified they were crystal clear they were sparkling and the Lord spoke to me as a young young guy hardly knew the Bible he said my river my presence rather he says my presence is a river, not a lagoon. I looked up the word swamp. It's an area of low-lying land that is frequently flooded due to receiving so much water, but without an outlet of feeding of a river. A marsh is a tract of waterlogged soil that becomes treeless and lifeless. Why? Because it's suffered a drought? No. Because it's had so much water. This spoke he of the Spirit, but with nowhere to go. Everything God has, everything God does has a purpose. The room was for the power. The street was the purpose. And I'm going to close with one word. I think they've got on it. Because what what's talking about purpose, what's the purpose of tonight? 
Why have I shared any of this? It's certainly not to have a good sermon. In a word, commissioning. Commissioning. And I felt God speak to me and said, clearly for this meeting, it was all about mobilization. It was all about commissioning the army of God. And it's not that you will ever forsake You'll never forsake the encounter moments and the glorious outpourings of the Holy Spirit because that's your power. That's the source of your power. You must never neglect that. But my friends, you don't soak it in, then come back and soak it in, and then come back and soak it in, and then come back and soak it in because sooner or later it's going to turn to dead on the inside of you. You soak it in so that the river can flow to its destination. The, 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 the fruit becomes the purpose. And I, the Lord gave me five categories of people here tonight that he wants to throw the gauntlet down. It's not, it's not going to be church as normal because the horrifying thing, I'm glad I, I fly out Sunday afternoon so you can't stone me after that. <laughs> but the horrifying thing to some of listening to a word like this is that you've got to do something with it. And you say, no, I don't. <laughs> My friend, the very phrase, no, I don't, means you have. You're making a decision right now. It's just a matter of which one. And I felt the Lord speak about these five categories of people. All those under 20, called to your own generation, schools, universities. It's time to be fearless. It's time to initiate. It's time to believe for miracles in the classroom and miracles in the courtyard. Singles, singles, over 20, but single. Your workplace, your sphere of influence. God put you there with purpose. Don't, don't, don't get sucked into the waiting game. I'll wait for the right partner and then I'll do something significant for the kingdom. Don't do that. Some of the greatest works around this globe right now, and I could name two or three right off quick like that, are by men or women that are, have never married. I don't know whether you've ever heard of Marion male. No? Went to Fiji, and the hundreds of people that have come to Jesus, the school that she's with, kids coming to Christ from all sorts of different things, and she's a single young, not young anymore, she's 58 or something now, but, but she went out young, and I'll tell you what, the kingdom of God is so rich and, uh, because of the harvest. So you don't sit around waiting. If God wants to bring the right person to you, as many a case he will, then I've got news for you. The more you occupy the, 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 the purpose of God for your own life, the quicker you're going to find them. You don't want to find somebody that's not going to collide with the purpose of God. 
Number three is married couples, parents. Revival nights and visitations and going to church shouldn't be what takes you away from your kids. It should be what empowers you to become the greatest dad and mom in the place. Your children need to see you shine. Fearlessly raising them up in a day and age which would try to manipulate you and control you from speaking the truth. Speak it all the more fearlessly. The fourth category is business people representing Father in the marketplace. You see, the whole purpose of Pentecost was that you would be a what? A signpost unto me. So my question to business people right now in the marketplace is, are you a signpost? Not, not whether do you successfully make money. That's wonderful for the kingdom, and it's great that God's gifted you that way. But do you live a life that's so dramatically different that people are impacted by it and say, what on earth? What makes you so different? Because your ethics, your integrity, you shine with an unshakable conviction that people like that don't just exist. There's got to be a reason why they exist like that. But you need the empowerment to be like that. I don't have an extra hour, but let me tell you, some of you are just getting off track now a little bit, but it's on track. You, you business people, and some of you younger emerging business people, don't limit yourself to your smarts. I never even finished high school. Teachers threw a party when they got rid of me. But I came back from Fiji so filled with the Holy Ghost, having been with YWAM and seeing hundreds of people come to Jesus. And suddenly I had to go into workforce. And I said, Father, what do you want me to do? Now, I was just young enough, zealous enough, black and white enough that, that I actually believed that the Holy Ghost could talk to you. And he said to me one day, I'm sorry, I'm not exaggerating anything. Oh, I don't have time to give this story. <sighs> Get the book. You did what? Uh, because really, honestly, a guy that never finished high school, I didn't get UE entrance or anything like that. And one guy, day God spoke to me and said, I want you to become a legal executive. I said, well, it's got an awesomely good ring to it. So I turned up, never forgotten it, 11th floor, overlooking the domain in Auckland, ASB building, and I waltzed in, and I thought I was on another planet, because wow. I was dressed like the hillbilly scruff that I was, and these people are sitting around in suits waiting for their interviews. 
Now, you would have thought I'd got the message about then. But I didn't. And they took me in and they interviewed me. And the previous Sunday, the preacher had said, now I'm not suggesting anybody do this. <laughs> but I was just raw enough for God to be able to do something. The preacher the previous Sunday had said, you can do all things through Christ. And then quoted the Bible. So it was ringing in my head. So I sat down, never forgot it. James Garbutt Jr. was a name in it. I'm not making this up. He was a uh, partner in the firm, gigantic firm. And I sat down and he says, okay, can you do? Yes. Then he mentioned something else. Well, can you do this? Yes. I can do all things. <laughs> and, and he went through a list of about 14 things. And the only thing that was in my head was I can do all things through Christ. Yes, 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 yes. In the end, he slapped it down on the table. He says, you're amazing. And I said, yes. I got the job. And I came to start on the Monday morning, and this lady in this striped suit came and grabbed me and took me into this humongous mahogany office with leather chair. And I said, Woo, who, who, whose office is this? Oh, Mr. McCracken, this is your office now. And I said, what? And we sat down at, behind it, and this partner came in with that deep of files and slammed them on my desk and said, this is the council rates for a certain council, and mentioned it. He said, our, these are the bad rates, and our recovery rate is dismal. We're only recovering about 8% of these things. Change that. Change it. Make sure we do better. And then walked out. <laughs> I hadn't even read a book on law. I had, I, 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 I hadn't a clue what the man was talking about. And, and I, it, it all kind of became very real in that moment. And I'm thinking, okay. And then I've just simple enough to say, Father, what on earth do I do? And he said, as clear as a bell, they're just people. Talk to them, and I'll do the rest. I rang them up one by one by one and talked to them and went to see them. And the recovery rate went from something like 14 or 15% to 80-something percent. <laughs> And they, 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 the firm thought I was Perry Mason. I was, a, I was the greatest legal mind in the history. And I still hadn't got a clue. And that was just the beginning. God led me over the next two years, because only two years out of the ministry in the workforce, and they were utter miracles every single day. 
Grab a handful of pamphlets. What of, Lord? Uh, office furniture. Why? I don't know nothing about office furniture. No, but I do. So, so I just grabbed them. So I grabbed them, walked down the main street of Auckland. So I walked down the main street of Auckland, turn in here. I turned in here. And he says, now sell them some office furniture. So I did. And they bought it. And I rang up the manufacturer and said, um, I've just sold some desks and chairs of yours. Can you deliver them? What? What? Who are you? Who on earth are you? Where's your showroom? Oh, I don't have one. Well, what? But I said, I have soldier furniture. Do you want to deliver them or not? And that built and grew and grew and grew and grew and grew. And every last cent of it went into building the kingdom of God. I had no more money in the bank when I finished than when I started. And when Margaret and I, were, and I could fill the next hour and a half with stories like that, and they get weirder and weirder and weirder, I've given you the easy ones. And, I'd, and someone once said, and we built this Christian campsite uh, for the kingdom of God and stuff, and, and they, you know, with lots of other people did too. And it came time for us to pioneer a local church. Two kids, one on the way, no money. And in those days, you didn't get sent out <laughs> with a team in 100 grand or whatever. I was sent out from my local church with this profound statement. If you're alive in 12 months, you've got what it takes. If you're dead, well, you never had it in the first place. Don't expect any help from us. There'll be no monthly support. There'll be nothing. Go. And that's how we pioneered with six people. Every single week on our knees before God for the groceries. And then I got a visit from two business people who offered me, I don't know why I'm telling these stories, sorry about the time, but they offered me a chairman's salary for life if I'd give them three days a week for their company. And at that stage, when you've got six adults and three kids in the congregation, it's not exactly a full-time job. And Father said, no, you're separated unto me. I'm your provider. So I turned them down and I said, I'm sorry, I can't accept it. What I'm doing is what I'm supposed to be doing. One was an angler and one was totally unchurched man. They came back to me three weeks later and they said, anybody that's got the strength of those convictions, we want to put the deposit down on your first house. And they put me and Margaret and the kids into our own home because they found a young man with the convictions that couldn't be bought. So I'm wondering, the, fin the final group of those that have a deep call tonight to national and international mi missions has been niggling at you for some time. So whether you're in any of those categories, tonight you're going to take the fruit of encounter 
and you're going to embrace the purpose. And if you embrace the purpose, the river will continue to flow. Powerfully, powerfully, powerfully. So, I'm going to ask something of you. Please, I'm not being, I'm not being silly now. Please do not, please do not come forward unless you know you're prepared to be abandoned to the purpose. God commissioned me. God commissioned me tonight. Let it become apparent in my spirit that I'm commissioned to reach the lost or commissioned to feed the hungry or commissioned to represent you in that street or commissioned to represent you in the marketplace. I am commissioned and I will be a carrier of your deposit and your power and your purity and the Holy Ghost into whatever environment you place me. Now, if you're abandoned to that, then you can come forward when we stand and sing in just a moment. But, but please, I know that, please, don't everybody else judge everybody else. The fact of the matter is we all have our aha moment. So whether you respond tonight or not does not indicate your future. Well, all it responds, all it indicates is that tonight in particular, God's spoken to you. And you want to be commissioned for his purpose. And you'll never look back. You'll never be the same again. You've gone off the end of the pier. There's no looking back. If that's you, then, then the altar's open for you. And you don't need me to lay hands on you. We saw how it was done last night. The bended knee's a good thing. Not that you have to, but if you feel to, that's good. But you do need to put feet to your commitment and say, God, count me in. All right. Praise the Lord. I'm going to pass it over because I know when my job is done. Thank you so much, and look forward to hearing the great things for the rest of your days. Thanks for listening. For more content, head to our website, davidmccracken.org.